A poem is a small machine made of words. William Carlos Williams. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, exploring the poetry scene of Central Canada and beyond with Amanda Earl and A.M. Kozak. Hello, world, and welcome to the Small Machine Talks. My name is A.M. Kozak, and I'm here with my co-host. Amanda Earl. And we have a special guest today. We're going to be interviewing Hugh Thomas. Hello, Hugh. Hello. How are you this afternoon? Great. Thank you. Wonderful. I think uh, we're going to talk to you about uh, your poetry, and we're going to ask you a series of questions. <laughs> and before we do that, Amanda is going to read out a small paragraph about you to contextualize you for the listeners. That, that's this is a very, the most formal. I, this is the most <laughs> formal sounding uh, I've, I've heard you. Well, <laughs> Amanda, episode forty-five. We have to keep changing things up, or else people are going to get up. bored. Oh, oh, are they? Oh, I hope I hope they don't get bored. That would be a pain. But yeah, and also Hugh, you were in town for the small press fair and the pre-fair reading here, so uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. So this is the, my third day of, of, of seeing you. I, I've never seen you this many days in a row. No, perhaps not. Probably not. <laughs> it's, it's a very nice thing. I, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it very much. So on the back of this wonderful book, Maze, which is uh, Hugh's first book, and it's been published by Invisible Publishing, uh, is this, it says, it reads, Hugh Thomas's work as a mathematician takes him around the world, which has contributed to the polylingual mishmash out of which his poetry arises. I still spelled mishmash, said mishmash wrong. He currently resides in Montreal, where he teaches mathematics at the Université de Québec à Montréal. There you go, Montreal and Montréal. There you go, I said both. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, but that's great. Yeah, so, so shall we dive in? Let's dive, dive in. in. Um, I'll, I'll ask the first question. Right. Is that okay? Of course. All right. So uh, we just mentioned in your bio, or Amanda just mentioned in your bio, that you teach math. Is there anything that your poetry or poetry in general has in common with mathematics? Well, that's a neat question. Um, <laughs> it requires, I guess, some contextualizing as far as what, what mathematics is like, mm -hmm. because I think... A lot of people's, I mean, people have various different experiences of math. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I think mathematicians don't do a great job of selling math as, <laughs> as a fun thing and an exciting thing, even though it is those things or it can be those things. Mm -hmm. um, the, um, and one of the features of math that, that we don't encounter as, you know, in, in, uh, in school is, is that, that math is, is a, a, an ongoing, uh, growing topic. It's not like the math is done mm -hmm. and we're just, uh, you know, the, the math professors are, are sitting there uh, doing more and more calculus exercises uh, <laughs> or, or making up new ones for our students. It's really like math is still, math is still growing. And um, the way that it, and, and well, uh, William Blake says, um, what is now proved was once only imagined, right? Hmm. So, so I mean, math is about is about proving things, but there really is a step before we get into proof where stuff is really being being imagined and um, in 
a way that involves a kind of following of, of intuition, a sense of where there is something, where there is something that can be done, where there is, there is a, where there might be an opening, um, or where there's some flexibility or where there's some, some resource of some kind, uh, where something can be engaged with, where, or where two things, um, say two mathematical concepts or whatever can fruitfully be, be put into communication with each other and that, that, that will, that will yield something. And, and I think, you know, the, that kind of intuition is, is also the intuition that, that guides poetry writing. Um, the, or an, an interesting, I mean, to me, interesting thing is that when we in mathematicians after that intuition stage there is also this proof stage which is involves it's a funny kind of process of, of turning i mean well it almost feels like turning your back on intuition and trying to figure out what can you actually do kind of and you know and and so that at the end of the day you wind up with this proof that's expressed in very clear language that's supposed to be very unambiguous that's supposed to be very explicit that you know in principle sort of uh anybody with the appropriate background can read it and they will understand it exactly the same way hmm. i mean those are things that are totally not true about poetry <laughs> um but but so so that's a place where i feel like math and poetry diverge and it leaves poetry in this this funny position where it's you know i had this intuition and following this intuition i wrote this poem and it will mean one thing to one person it will mean something totally different to somebody else and a third person might not think it's poetry at all um or or in any case might not might not feel not be able to engage with it in any way and might just just you know it might just not do anything for them so it sounds like then for both poetry and math there's this intuitive process of discovery that you're talking about but where they differ is that in math, the goal is kind of this proof and for it to be understandable, exactly understandable by different people, whereas poetry doesn't require that or doesn't, that doesn't fit with poetry. Right. Um, I mean, I think there's... It can be. There's some aspects, right, that could that could be, I don't know, like... Well, there's a siren you mentioned might happen. Yeah, there's a siren <laughs> that I mentioned might happen. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I was thinking about a constraint and stuff like that, that people work with or with. Or, but yeah. it, the difference is in math, those constraints can't be, I guess you can't have, well, there must be a lot of experimental mathematics, though, in some ways. I don't know. I'm talking without, about <laughs> my math is, is long ago, but... Uh, there, you know, there, exploration to come up with uh, the, the as part of the intuitive phase, there is an exploratory phase, right? That is, sure. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, and and it's it's true that people there are people who are saying, well, do we need do we need to or should we be focusing so much on proof? And hmm. there, because there's interesting things you can do where um, you might you might have. Um, I mean, like, I don't know, let's say you have a formula that produces um, successive digits and you've checked that the first thousand digits that it produces are the digits of pi. Like, yeah. it seems very unlikely that it's going to suddenly diverge. diverge and, mm -hmm. and you can make that that feeling a little more precise, even if you like. So the pi so, not traveled. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, th so there's there's 
Um, that kind of um, yeah. So I mean, I mean, the, the the importance of proof in math is indeed uh, being questioned by by people. Um, I do think. Uh, I mean, uh, Yuri Manin says uh, a good proof is uh, one that makes us wiser. Mm, I so, like that. so that's that's sort of, um, and I think that's that's what we we strive for with mathematical proof is that the 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 process of finding proofs illuminates the things that we're actually proving things about and suggests new ideas, and that if we hadn't if we hadn't had this idea that we wanted to prove things, right. then there are lots of things we would never have found. Yeah. Um, Is there an element to of subjectivity when you're talking about proof? Because proof sounds very objective. And you said before that where poetry and math somewhat diverge is there's the objectivity assumption in math when you're having a proof and the subjectivity assumption in poetry. Is there also, though, when you have these proofs, is there a subjective interpretation that goes on with how one mathematician might understand the proof and another mathematician might understand the proof that might lead you to different understandings? Is there understandings? any ambiguity in Yeah, the, I guess in so. <laughs> ambiguity or just interpretations that would lead you to different understandings of, of mm. that. That's, that's an interesting question. <laughs> um, it's not, I mean, and in a sense, it's hard to assess, you know, what does, you know, I read a proof and I have some ideas and somebody else reads a proof and they have some ideas, but how do we know which ideas we had? Like it's we, kind of a question about, about reality. Them. You're yeah. supposed to show your work though. <laughs> um, but there's a sense in which the, I'm going to have some ideas and to some extent, those ideas might be not, might be partly ideas that are suggested by the proof, but are sort of like, it's a little bit like, Ah, this is, a, I think it's a good example. If you draw, um, I realize this is a podcast, so this is not going <laughs> to, so, so everybody has to imagine following diagram. But <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know how to draw a cube on a piece of paper, right? Like, right. you know, yeah. So that, that little 3D illustration. But so anybody who looks at that, who's sort of familiar with the convention, is able to see the third dimension yes. kind of into that. Yeah. And so that's that's sort of the sense in which like the math proof is like that that flat drawing and then you know a mathematician reading it will sort of see see a third dimension but there might be in some sense i mean and and you know like there's a sense in which like if you have, for example with the, that that picture of a cube you might actually draw, you might actually see the third dimension in a couple of different ways like mm -hmm. you might you might see oh this is the front face and this is the back face or the other way around and so different people will see that potentially different ways and that's also true of the math proof, but I think what happens is that there's there's sort of it's it's close enough to or it, you know it it, it in, if somebody's read it adequately and if it was written adequately, then the idea that each person has will will be sort of close enough to or will 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 reflect will reflect the important features, the necessary features of the the object and so we'll allow everybody to sort of agree that the proof was right even though they each had in their own heads things that were were a bit different along the way that's my feeling anyway hmm. and you think that do you think that's different from um how people readers readers who are used to reading poetry understanding poetry or 
how the basic gist of what's going on in a poem is that different from how readers would see a poem do you think i do think so um i mean i guess it depends a bit on on the kind of poem mm -hmm. yeah and um, depends on their background and their experience levels uh, yeah like yeah um i mean i think there's you know like uh you know i mean people people put uh, uh i don't know like you can you can have a first year english exam and you know yeah. have a have a poem on there and and ask everybody to read it and you know there, get there, different there can things be, from it yeah. they can get different things from it but they they there can be i mean i guess i guess i'm 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 briefly trying to argue the opposite position. Right, I see that now. <laughs> that, I'm starting to figure that out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that sometimes there, there's there's you know like uh, I don't know like what's a good I don't know what's a good example of a uh, what's a good poem? What's, what's a good example? Of oh a poem? no, I that's know, putting us good. on the spot. Yeah. Or uh, how about a poem that that people know? A, a like lot a Shakespearean of people know. sonnet or something as a, a form that people would recognize. Sure, that's. Um, well, and I like, mean, if you if you you know if you take like those like the Shakespearean sonnets, many, I mean, many of the Shakespeare yeah. sonnets, they're 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 pretty clearly you know love poems addressed to a person. Yeah. And you know if you didn't succeed in unpacking like the metaphors and realizing that this is about somebody expressing their feelings about another person, then then you kind of missed the point. Like you 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 didn't you know. And so so there is something, but there is something there to be. A commonality. Yeah, right? there is yeah. something there, but but I mean, I think that's, you know, that's that's has to do with well, I mean, I think, but I think that there's other kinds of poetry where it's harder to uh, harder to say, and I mean, I would say most of my poetry is probably harder to say. What's the what's the thing, what's um, the thing? that you were you were supposed to understand about this poem? If you didn't understand this about the poem, then you didn't get it. There's, I don't know. There's usually there's not there isn't such a thing. Um, though, if people if people said, I mean, I actually had. I mean, some of my poems are pretty. Well, I hope they're funny. I think they're funny, <laughs> they and, and I read them, and people laugh. So I I, I gather that they're other laughing with also, you. Yes, yeah, 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 <laughs> they're laughing great. with you. <laughs> I'm glad. Yes, um, yeah. they are funny. They're great. Yeah, and for sure, they're playful. Know, so you know, I think that. And I remember actually, like um, uh, somebody whom I showed uh, a poem to, just totally not getting that it was a funny poem. That it was that it was that it was funny, and and <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, which, and I did feel like, okay, this person has kind of missed the point of this one. Like, right. Just not quite. They didn't quite get it. So, so there is, there, I guess there is something like that is something that I, you hope that they, yeah. yeah, and I guess, I, yeah. yeah, and I mean, I guess also in another sense, um, I also hope that people reading my poetry would, would recognize that there isn't like some key that yeah. according to which it will all make sense if they had just like if they had just like been paying more attention in high school and they, they, oh, they yeah. learned a few more technical terms about poetry then it would be really clear what the secret message uh, that i had carefully encoded in these poems is and like 
that's just there, there isn't one no. like you know so the so public service announcement there is no secret message in maze there is no secret message yes we, thank we, you we thank try you. We, we're going to spread the word so that people don't continue to try to decode but i mean that's something i mean i think a lot of people who struggle with poetry in general have that issue they 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 sort of they they feel like there may be one answer and maybe that they haven't figured it out and that's um it's confusing to them sometimes yeah. or, and, yeah, and yeah. sometimes that makes it intimidating but i find once you understand that the pressure is off you know yeah. is, that's a good thing I, I but i mean that's something it's part of the education system too where we were taught to sort of in my in my old-fashioned days we were taught that there were like even i i always give this example i'm not gonna give it in but the, the question in in school of what a poem is about i mean to me that yeah. that's a flum that flummoxes me today that the, this is this is the way to talk about poetry mm-hmm. this sounds like a nice segue into false translations segue segue a word i like and it's spelled so weird it is know. okay so anyway i was i would i have a lot of um of your um well not all of your chapbooks but i have a lot of your chapbooks and i was going through them with the book as well so uh it was a great chance to reread or in some cases read because I, I haven't read for instance i i've only, i i went back and read uh uh, Eleven, Alev Alive, the uh, the uh, wonderful uh, chapbook put out by Shrieking Violet of, of Stuart Ross, Dag T. Stromsvag, and uh, your your translations of Stuart's work. So that was that was fun to read. So and then uh, so talking about the different chapbooks in six uh, Swedish poets, a nice blue chap blue covered chapbook from uh, Above Ground Press that was put out in 2015. In the back, you describe the poems as false translations. And it's always interesting to see how you're describing these works in various, uh, you know, contexts. So and in some other chapbooks, poems have been described as translations. Some of these poems appear in maze. Uh, can you talk about what a false translation is or and how you create them? And and what what started this process of working on this sort of form? And what are your thoughts about translation as applied to poetry or other literary forms? Those are big questions. So take whatever you feel like answering. And okay, yeah, yeah. maybe. Woo. I mean, I'm, 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 I am interested in translation. Yes. Um, like, like, you know, sort of as a, like, well. So I'm interested in, like, I, I practice this kind of false translation. I'm also interested in like questions about faithful translation. Yes. But maybe let's put that aside for now. All right. So and just, just because uh, because most of what. I've been publishing is um, is is false translations um, of one kind or another, um, and you know, I mean, the, just to put it in in a nutshell, it's just the process of of sitting there with with a poem in some language, typically that I don't know, um, in front of me, and then writing a poem, and then writing a writing a poem um, with some idea that you know things from the one poem are corresponding somehow to things in the other poem. And, you know, that could be, um, that could be uh, different sorts of things. It could be trying to preserve the sounds. Um, it could be, there's a poem in Maze where it's, uh, where the poem that I started with had had a whole bunch of what were recognizably, so it was in Polish, which I don't yeah. know any of, but it, it recognizably had a bunch of uh, composers' names right, in right. it, so <laughs> I could uh, so 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 they kind of they showed up in in the same places in the same order um, in my translation. Um, so that's that's a thing um, 
and and you know uh, there's also looking at individual words and just being like what does this word suggest does it suggest something and does it you know is is there um yeah and and uh, that that sometimes sometimes words do do uh do suggest things um it's i mean the the process is kind of uh it's kind of funny because sort of as soon as i get kind of used to it and kind of get into a place of of sort of comfort with it then it totally stops working um because it turns out that there isn't any mechanical process that yeah. will produce poetry yeah um this is another perhaps another public service announcement that, that you know, <laughs> second public service now psa yeah, yeah. no <laughs> There is no mechanical procedure to produce poetry, and so you know you can't, you know, and and it's 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 easy to, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess, um, you know, it, 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 you'd sort of like it. You'd like to say, well, okay, I've got a couple of hours. Why don't I write a good poem? Yeah. You know, unfortunately, that's there's no guarantee that that can be done. Um, True enough. <laughs> yeah, um, and. Uh, so 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 um uh so so somehow while while I, I i constantly find or i have constantly found this idea of some kind of false translation to be stimulating and exciting i i can somehow never get comfortable with it because if i did then or you know whenever i do and i mean it, it sort of happens that i do then I just find that what I'm producing is, is becomes sort of boring, and, and I'm not very interested in in the outcome. And and what about how did it first? When when did you first start to do it, and what made you? What inspired you to attempt hmm. attempt it? That's a good question. And was it a particular writer, or I, you think I'm not so long? How can you remember? Right? Actually, sure. <laughs> what was the initial was, spring? <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm really not sure. In fact, which is is kind of silly. Um, no, it's, it's because it's become part of you so well, much yeah, that you. Yeah. Um, Reminds me a bit of a. I interviewed Aaron Moray like ten years ago now. One of the when I was first starting to do interview poets, and she talked about her process of of translation and especially about Sheep's Vigil by a Fervent Person. Yeah. I think it's called, which mm -hmm. is a translation of Fernando Pessoa's yeah. books. And some of the translations she's done has been like languages she doesn't fully understand. I yeah. think Galician is one of them. And how she said that what she sometimes wanted to do is translate it from the location to where she was staying in Toronto, for example, mm. from where it was um, located in Brasoa's books. And also trying to keep things like humor or sound or mood and things like that. Um, that, you know, when you do try to do like a more traditional translation, I guess, you might have the words but you lose some of the other things like the mood or the humor or the sound. Yeah, I love Sheep's Visual Life Urban Person. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, yeah. That's a fantastic book. It is. And uh, um, that, that, I mean, that, that was probably, I mean, that, that must have been one of the influences uh, on me because I guess I would have read that around whatever, 2003 or four or so, mm -hmm. you know, when I was sort of starting doing this kind of stuff. Um, and uh yeah and 
yeah, I mean, it's, it, 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 but, 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 well, yeah, I mean, that, that though is, I mean, that's, that's a fantastic book and it's, um, but it's kind of a, a really wonderfully lucky sort of confluence where, um, Aaron, you know, I would say realized that, you know, all of the, that, 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 this poetry of Pessoa's could be could be reimagined by her in a way that would be like at the same time like our her own reimagination of it, but also be really, really the only really truly faithful way of re-expressing mm -hmm. that work. Mm -hmm. um, because I mean, Cairo. The, the, so it's 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 in it's the Alberto Cairo is the uh, the heteronym, heteronym that, that yeah. uh, uh, writes the the poems in that book. Yeah. And um, his he had and 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 sort of some his some kind of philosophy of him sort of uh, is is communicated uh, through the poems, but the the the. If you just read the Portuguese now, I think the, or if you were a, a, a sort of more normal, conventional uh, translation of the Portuguese now, the, the like, all the excitingness of Cairo's kind of non, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of philosophy of non-philosophicalness <laughs> and, um, but but somehow with the passage of time and and whatever the the sort of scope for or the the sense of of uh novelty and excitement of the position that he was expressing i think gets lost and if you if you just read you know some faithful translation now of those texts, they just seem to be taking up one position as opposed to another position that can be located within mm. a certain philosophical tradition, and so it's it's mm. not exciting in the same way. Mm -hmm. And um, but Aaron's reimagination of it, like, reproduces that that excitement, um, and and that makes it really wonderful. And normally, I I mean, anyway, all that you know in in. Uh, um, and by and large, my attempts at translation are are not at trying anything as uh, remarkable because I'm more or less uh, willfully jettisoning any hope that I might have anything to do with that the result might have anything to do with the text that I started with because I I typically don't don't know the language that I'm starting from, or if I do know it, then I'm deliberately ignoring the actual knowledge of it that I have. <laughs> and um, in the, I mean, in the hopes, I mean, in the hopes of responding in a certain, you know, lively and engaged way with with the poems, with how they look on the page, yeah. um, with something, with the something about the language. But um, uh, without, you know, without really the the aspiration of um, communicating um, 
the original um, in any way. I was I was reading um, um, I I googled <laughs> and there's a there's an old uh, uh, poem of yours in numero sank mm, yeah. and it's online and there's also along with the poem is a is an article by Sarah Bernstein called the boundless chaos of living speech which I really loved I thought it was really interesting and she talks about uh, she calls uh, she has a few different names for them too naive translation is another term mm -hmm. but she talks about um, it's sort of I don't know, I don't remember how she put it exactly, but she talks about the impossibility of fixing language, any language, and of untangling it from others. So that's, oh. that's something I do get from your work, that the arbitrariness of, of words and, and, and how they come together and how they can change through play, you know, through... So yeah, uh, absolutely. And yeah. I mean, there's, there is also, I guess in some sense, I do feel like... Um, well, again, let me let me mention a thing that Erin said at at a reading. I think this may have been the reading when she was up for a Griffin Prize, where she said, you know, oh, it's all just dialects of Latin, you know. So, you so really, I mean, we 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 have you know come to think of these languages as you know we have we have all these separate boxes, yeah, these different languages, exactly. but you know that that's not that wouldn't have been the way that language was thought of, you know, um, you know, like. I don't know what a thousand years ago when the different vernaculars mm -hmm. were sort of coming out of Latin, you know, there was there wasn't, you know, there was just a sense that yeah, people people talk different ways, but there weren't there weren't sort of codified grammars of the the vernacular languages, and they 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 there was just like linguistic continuities and gradual change across you know across swaths of Europe as you go from you know, the tip of the Iberian Peninsula and go across and through Italy and on and into Romania, people are just talking in different ways that all recall Latin. Um, and and so in that sense, or with, with that sort of inspiration, I would like to hope that, or I'd like to think that maybe I I am actually engaging with the with the poem as you know that 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 you know we have more more in common than we think and yeah. you know maybe maybe there's nothing you know amiss or or uh, with with my trying to read poetry in you know swedish or norwegian or you know whatever language it might be and uh you know um experiencing it as i experience it well, and there's so many different ways of of, of engaging with um, language through translation. Like I was I was in my research about things like homophonic translation and different things. I also happened across B.P. Nichols, you know, translating Apollinaire and then translating, translating Apollinaire. And the idea behind that was kind of because he was also um, engaging with the non-lexical, so even the, mm -hmm. the the like the typewriter and the mm -hmm. way. So that, that there's all kinds of different ways to play with these with these things. And then lastly, on the subject of translations, there's the mishearings too, right? And yeah, mondegreens yeah. and things like that. They mm -hmm. call mondegreens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like things like uh, I, I read in um, this book, uh, um, Prismatic Poetic uh, Pu Publics. Uh, it was Susan Holbrook who said she still thinks there's a wee olive and a yellow submarine, you know, so ah, that's right, just right. funny. But yeah, so I, I, I that <laughs> the play aspect of the book and, and your, your previous year chapbooks are really, it's one of the things I've always engaged with. We, we actually, we had a little collaboration we did years ago uh, through Book Hug and uh, it was, it was uh, Kara Benson, Hugh and I, they had, Book Hug had this little website 
think and we somehow we we did something like that i don't know whether it was a translation exercise or what we were doing exactly there but but we did it was playing with words in that way like we each had a different sort of interpretation of the same things somehow or we worked from each other's i can't remember but so that that was in 2005 so that was an interesting Mm -hmm. activity yeah speaking of things like different languages locations there's a lot of places mentioned in maze whether as poem titles or mentioned in poems. What about place do you think makes it find its way into your poems? Well, I mean, I do, I do find really interesting. Um, I do, I do find travel interesting and being in different places. Um, it's, it's a uh, perhaps secret fact about the life of mathematicians is that we do, we do travel a lot. I mean, math is is you know a, a, is something that's engaged with by by people around the world and and largely um, on well in, in, in at least in part on on kind of common topics so that you know if I'm researching things that are also being you know worked on by people who are based in Japan for example or right. people who are based right. in France and it's also like a common language actually just thinking about yeah, that. yeah 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 exactly um so so yeah so i mean much more so than than you know poetry which tends to be you know well you know there are people who were interested in poetry in english and they tend to be english speakers and they you know they they do their poetry and then the the french speakers you know get together and the, and the french poets are you know and, and french you know anyway these, these things tend to get Their language get, based, kind of ghettoized yeah. by by linguistic community and um you know which which math does to a to a much lesser extent um um so so i do find place kind of exciting um and particularly i guess the sense of i mean i guess the thing that i find most exciting about being in a different place is not seeing the the particular like particular special fancy things that happen to be located in that place but just the experience of living in in a different place and you know just just seeing how different in but in very mundane ways how how it's different to be in these different places um is is kind of is kind of fascinating to me um and it's uh somehow gets my gets gets my poetic energy going and tends to spark my uh, creative process. Are there any examples you can think of that you may have written poems about or written about in terms of just like that mundane, but how that's sort of an illuminating experience or an experience that you're, you know, interested by or attracted to? So it's hard to come up with. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess, I mean, the, the, the I mean, that also, well, I mean, largely, uh, I don't, I don't think of my poems as being about, about something, Mm -hmm. really. Um, So things, things sort of um, turn up uh, in there, and then maybe in retrospect, I might, might sort of see, um, I mean, the very last poem in the book, for example, I guess, is, is, uh, um, uh, Contemplating sunset at Westlake. Yeah. That the last so book? that was that was that was um, <laughs> written based on 
and experience. Uh, wait, well, th th that was um, written uh, or begun at least while I was in China. Um, and though I don't, I mean, I, so so I don't know if it's if it's exactly an example of what you were asking me about. Um, it has a place name in it. <laughs> it does have a place name in it, right? Um, and um, so the I I mean I guess the my sense of it is that the poem just naturally arises out of whatever the the circumstances are and they're they're kind of um or okay maybe this is maybe this is a better example um the there's a poem but i think bastille day is is in there and in fact some of the details from that poem were taken from when i was visiting i was like actually by the Eiffel Tower, but I left the Eiffel Tower out because I wasn't that interested in the Eiffel Tower. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was, you know, so I didn't really care that it, it had taken, you know, that it had taken place at the Eiffel Tower. I was more interested just in in the bridge that, um, you know, and the, the thing that's mentioned is just mm -hmm. like crossing this bridge, you know, you and many others over hundreds of years, you know, yeah. like just, you know, just, just the, the everydayness of, of crossing crossing a bridge but somehow it um you know because it's a bridge over the Seine it's a bit different from crossing a bridge over I don't know over the canal or uh, over the river hmm. it has a different history doesn't yeah, it I mean, yeah, there are yeah, different yeah. ghosts on different bridges yeah 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 right? and it yeah it feels yeah. feels different I I think too like aside from place I think there's actually quite a bit of placelessness in here the whole mm -hmm. idea of the maze like uh, you know mm -hmm. we were talking at the reading uh the pre-fair reading you were talking about how putting together a book means you have different you see different arcs mm -hmm. in and uh, one of the arcs to me is the whole point like sort of the the idea of travel either whether it's through a time or not time travel but <laughs> you know right. navigating time and navigating place and trapped in, there's a lot of trapped in a maze or there's a, there's a, yeah a, 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 so that is kind of interesting in some ways and and finding your way around and like take the north go go right here and then right again that right. sort of thing yeah yeah yeah. there is certainly there is yeah. there is there is a bunch of that and i think it's i mean and i think the sense is that the 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 maze is not is not so much a literal maze no. but just the 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 maze of getting around and, and yeah. it's partly getting around in a city that you don't that you don't know and uh you know which you know so a city can can easily be a maze though it's also um I guess it's a matter of how, you know, how you're looking at it. I've also heard that, I'm not sure if this is a recent thought or phenomenon, but the more people travel to different cities across the world, the more things just seem kind of the same or similar. And that to me makes, it sounds a little bit like almost when you're traveling, a placelessness is kind of um, starting to overwhelm you instead of the different distinct aspects of a place. Would you agree with that at all? Or do you think that when you're traveling and you're, you know, we'll, we'll call it inspiration or when you're just writing and, and being infused by your surroundings. Do you think there's a element of, you know, things kind of blurring together once you've been so many places or do you still think that they're all, you know, quite unique or different? I think that there can be. I mean, and I think that, I think that, you know, in a sense, I think that the function of poetry is always to find what's 
unique and to preserve what's unique and to engage with what's unique. Hmm. Um, and I think there are places that are more, um, where it's easier to do that. And there are places where it's harder to do that. Um, I wound up in a lot of malls. <laughs> they, they seem kind of similar. Yeah. I mean, I've been in a lot of airports. Mostly yep. they're pretty similar. Um, though, though I, I have to mention, I feel obliged to mention the, the uh, uh, possibly the worst name ever of a an athletic uh, shoe store, um, <laughs> which I saw in the airport in Kuwait. Um, it is called Athlete's Foot. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's <laughs> that's funny. So there can be some unique places in airports as well. <laughs> yeah, there's there's yeah yeah and and uh, yeah 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 yes. Uh, I guess the you know there's a certain there's a certain kind of ideal airport and you know you sort of get. And and some places, uh, you know, aspire to. Uh, some places are very close to that kind of idealized airport, that you know that it's kind of like a, a completely unbearable ideal. I mean, let me just yeah. emphasize. Yeah. Um, and then, then it, it is interesting how how places do uh, deviate from do deviate from that. That's true. When I'm in a different city in North America, I always, if I feel nervous about, you know, finding my way around and I'm uncomfortable, I, I usually find if I go to a university, I can feel at home because I usually can easily find some kind of campus center. I can find the library. I can find various the, the pl places. To, I can find places. There's some commonality in yeah. that institutional like, education sort of environment that uh, makes me feel at home as someone who spent really many years in a university. When I was in uh, mm -hmm. like a smaller city in Iceland, I wanted to visit the university. university. I wanted to visit it to see. It was like, yeah. are Icelandic universities set up different? Not really. Interesting. That's yeah, not interesting. really. Eh? So yeah, I, I can't speak to universities in other in outside of North America but myself. Haven't been in any. But uh, um, did so, you? Yeah, go ahead. I, I did. I when I when I was in China on the on the trip that led to the the, the last poem, I was I was at a university and and it was really interesting because again there's there's aspects that are similar but or, or quite similar but there's also um, you know uh, differences and. And yeah, it was it was really oh, I was really it was a real pleasure sort of being being in that space, which yeah, mm -hmm. as you say, was yeah. was at the same time, you know, comfortable but also like it's a different... very unfamiliar as yeah. well. And and I mean it's 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 really funny actually to go into a library, which I in fact did. I went into the library there. Um and realized obviously uh, well i can't read any of these books they're all in chinese but they look great <laughs> yeah it's lovely to be here and, yeah. you know but but you know i mean it's not this is not this is not you know this is not where i fit in uh exactly <laughs> but uh but it was it was still fascinating to sort of like go in there and like stare um, and i think that some of i mean some of i think that 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 um is somehow also part of the um, experience of, of translation for me, or mm -hmm. this false translation is, is you know, this poetry in, in other languages, which, you know, uh, I mean, poetry is sort of somewhere that I, 
I think of as being like a home, but then here's this other book. It's poetry written in in languages that I don't know. Yeah. And so, you know, is it is this is this my home or can this be my home? Can this can this be partly my home? Uh, can I or you know, and, and, and what does that mean? Did you want to ask the next couple of questions sure. on form, Amanda? Sure. I, I, I was just going to say about um, about um, that is sometimes having that process of defamiliarization can help to to sort of inspire all kinds of interesting associations that like yeah. work your way, work their way through your poem. I was still thinking of the, I'm thinking of the poems, the safety instructions poem. Mm. That was great. I, you know, looking at the, the uh, instructions in Japanese and then coming up with all those wonderful things to do in the, you may smoke a pipe and <laughs> those the different things to do. And no, that was the, I mean, that's what makes it the defamiliarization can make it humorous too, because it's, uh, but at the same time, it's an experience that everyone has and it's a nerve wracking experience too. You look at that safety instructions and you're thinking about all the things that can go wrong before the plane or as the plane is taking off and you're you know so it's 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 both funny and frightening at the same time yeah it's interesting yeah oh okay i should say so it's a slightly i guess it's a different topic in a way we're still it's still a, it's sort of dealing with constraints um so some of the poems in the book and chat books are entitled with the name of a form such as a cento or a haiku american sonnet but they don't in any way adhere to the typical constraints of the form named so would you talk about that and what made you decide to engage with them this way the the form the well i mean i think so there's a few things to be said about that one is that's good <laughs> <laughs> one is that um as a mathematician I think I think it's a it's sort of mathematicianly thing to do to mm. kind of take definitions to kind of their extremes. Yeah. Um, because somehow with mathematical definitions, that's a that's a that's a actually often a sensible thing to do and, and a good way to help you understand something is to kind of say see what the most extreme points are. And that's somehow not in other contexts that may or may not be a useful practice, like for, for other kinds of things. Uh, you know, so, so I mean, mathematicians tend to, you know, read things kind of literally, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, you know, I mean, the, the, the poem that I, I referred to as a sonnet um, is, has 14 lines. It is arranged yep. in three quatrains yep. and a closing um, couplet. Mm -hmm. um, that's the part of the sonnet that I, that's the part of sonnetness that's, that I, I adhere to. Felt yeah. like adhering to in that instance i don't know i mean it's i i i guess um i'm not i'm not in, in in that in that particular instance now i mean that's a poem that i wrote some time ago i i'm not sure i uh i'm not i'm not sure how i feel about the idea of calling that a sonnet like but but <laughs> um but i mean i guess i guess i think it's i think it's an interesting or potentially an interesting gesture to, you know, uh, encourage people to think about it a different way yeah. by by giving a certain, uh, by referring to a certain form. Um, and, you know, people can, maybe it brings up a different, brings in a different set of associations. And, and I think that's, that, that can be good. One of my favorites in the book uh, for that type of thing is the Cento. And it's one line, just go to the graveyard and ask around. And of course, that's exactly right, right? Because, I mean, they're, quote, they're all these different people with all these different, you know, lines you could you could borrow from and you could make a cento from their, from all that 
it was good. I I I, I was what I what I think of as like a tip of the iceberg kind of thing. Thinking, you know, like this one little idea, and then it's, you have this big. So yeah. Yeah, but really but cool. I should I should you know be honest that, uh, and maybe I should have have uh, so I did have a list. I do have a list of sources at the back. I don't think I gave a source for for that poem, but uh, you do. Um, but the, the, I mean, that is literally, that poem is literally a cento because that yep. line is actually from... taken from somewhere else. Oh, did I get a source? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. But no, I just, no, I, I don't just think been... I did. I think I, I, I the, right. sort of, the idea of putting in the sources came kind of very late in the process. I oh, mean, okay. Cause I, we're going to talk about sources uh, okay, too. Yeah. Why don't yeah. we just go right? Yeah. You build okay. sources in the, at the back and aside from false translation, are there any other ways that you use these sources and how does the material intersect with the poems? Um, well, my, by and large, they are. It is. It is a matter of false translation. Um, the um, there's a couple that are actual faithful translations, mm -hmm. so I, I cite that. Um, uh, and you know, just just you know, just because it, I, I happen to have encountered a poem that mm -hmm. I I felt like translating, and that I felt like the translation. You know, was I, I don't know that that, that, that like it, stars. It was, yeah, 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 yeah. For example, that was actually particularly interesting, uh, or that, that relates to a particular experience because I had been uh, so I'd been in in Norway for a while. I had been and I had been trying to learn a bit of Norwegian, and I had been looking at poetry in Norwegian and by and large finding it. Hard to uh, hard to read, hard to get into, and then in a cafe, I picked up a book of poetry by Edith Södergren, uh, mm. who's who's a Swedish poet, um, and uh, the like. The second poem that I looked at was was that poem, and and I could just read it. I could read it, and I knew what it meant, um, and I was <laughs> really delighted, um, and uh, and so I and and I felt like I could translate it in a way that that uh, worked for me as a, as a translation I mean worked as a as a poem in English and that works as you know as a faithful translation of the poem by Sodergren yeah it's, it's well I have a lot of favorites in this book but it's one of my favorites too oh, I, oh, well, I'm glad. I, will, I will look up the stars and, and uh, wait for them to fall with a clang right. okay <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> um. Yeah, and I mean Södergren is somebody that you know we don't we don't uh, hear a lot about, but she was an important early modernist in. Mm. Um, well, actually, actually, she's she so she writes in Swedish, but she lived in Finland. Um, mm. But so she she's she's you know an important um, contributor to the the tradition, the literary tradition in in uh, Swedish. Um, so uh, you know, so that's that's also it's kind of nice to include stuff that people uh you know that that anglophones don't don't know yeah 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 it's true i find sometimes when i when i've heard like um i've often only ever first heard about a a poet or a, a writer through a translation and then i've gone back after to to look up their work more um right mm -hmm. should we ask more, talk more about form Oh yeah, okay. And you want it. So, in addition to these um, forms that Amanda was talking about, with when the poem is named a form, there's also well, we mentioned a one-liner, mm -hmm. and there's also prose poems. And how much intention do you use form in general? Uh, how much intention do you? 
put towards using form in general? And do you find that certain topics or moods are better expressed using particular forms? I mean, by and large, I think my my practice involves starting typically starting with with some source text of some kind, and so that often suggests what the form will be. I mean, okay. if I'm if I'm following you know some kind of line by line translation, then that's that's some you know that that is providing the form in some way. Um, other times, you know, it it. it it, it it can be it can can also be different, um, um, but somehow it tends to be a matter of the. I mean, it tends it tends for me not. I mean, questions about about you know what, you know is, I mean, it, I guess it's it tends to be for me to be a a matter of the form and and sort of the matter of the the text that i'm or the the the, the, the let's say the words that i'm writing wherever they're coming from they're they're typically coming from some kind of a process that i've come up with which might be you know translation from somewhere other source or overheard conversation or or, or some combination of those things but anyway somehow some text is being produced and then there's a question of well where what's the sort of natural form for this text, and typically, um, without without you know wanting to change it a lot or or um, manipulate it a lot to to put it into a form, um, because I, I I don't I don't I feel like. For me, the, the results are less interesting. Uh, like that doesn't produce interesting results for me. Did you want to ask the, our last question, Amanda? Sure. Okay. So, um, so many of the poems were, as we've talked about, were originally published in chat books from 2005 to 2018. Some with tiny changes and some with larger edits. Um, and again, I refer back to. Um, Refer to the the reading where you talked about different arcs. So, can you talk about how you chose which poems to include in Maze and how you t determined the order? Well, I mean, the, the question of which poems to include yeah. was was um, wasn't really was 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 not really done with with an overarching yeah. purpose. It was more just you know let me just take the poems that I'm still happy about. Um, Interesting. And um, and with the assumption that you know there there would be there would be you know like I said arcs of various kinds that would sort of naturally yeah. emerge yeah, from just the fact that you know this is what I've been interested in over over the past you know almost twenty years of writing these these poems mm -hmm. you know so so some interests are going to sort of emerge and reemerge in a natural way without really um, without really pushing it to. Uh, to happen in 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 a, a particular uh, sat way, um, and the order was um, not hmm, well. There there is actually a sort of a sort of uh, kind of weird plan behind the order. 
which I don't know if it, if it works <laughs> at all or if it if it makes any if it, I don't know I don't know how it how it uh, how it actually plays out um, but sort of, roughly speaking the poems are, are were, were put into the order so that running from January to December in the order in like in so that they they, they sort of are, are are there in in with other poems that were written in the same month but oh. in different years that's mm -hmm. interesting so a kind of a seasonal but seasonal according to when they were written yeah. rather than say oh this has to have take place in january or something like that right right but, but interesting so with, with, that is secret yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, like nobody, you know, it's not it's not in any way uh, discernible um but and i mean there were things that i did that then then you know uh didn't didn't keep with that conventions the very last poem was just the last poem that i had written and that i wanted to have in there and that i, I thought was a good poem to have at the end but wait and, it's not a, it's you didn't write it in the winter time oh no right, right. <laughs> so you know i mean i i was i was willing to, to yeah. sacrifice that to uh um and it but, but it, it just sort of worked i mean the poems that i had started some of the very earliest poems that are in the book mm -hmm. came from a period uh, in January, when I when I sort of just started, sort of wrote a bunch of poems in January of two thousand one, <laughs> um, and also I think some of them possibly in December two thousand one, but December two thousand. But um, um, I counted them as being January. Um, so there's so there's a bunch of sort of early poems at the start of the book, um, which which I thought made sense as a way of sort of letting people into. What I'd been doing, well, they could start. They could start kind of at the beginning, um, and you know, see where where things went from there. Do you find that in certain months or certain seasons, you have a like a, a similar mood, maybe, or a style that sort of um, I don't know illuminates itself for you, and that's kind of what is tying some of these poems together, or thematic ties? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I don't know if they're. I don't know how to what extent there really are such hmm. ties. Um, uh, I mean, it's probably more it, uh, probably it's it's probably. I mean, it probably mean that probably means that because I'm an academic, and so typically during like the fall and winter i'm teaching classes right. and then in the summer i'm traveling so there's there's probably the, the sort of summer four months are probably larger than the other months right. and <laughs> and have sort of the most of the the sort of traveling in all kinds of directions poems i'm guessing um <laughs> i haven't actually sort of tried to look back and then sort of sort out uh, more precisely so perhaps the key to this maze is that it's a, a calendar year exploration through a calendar year yeah, yeah. So there was a key after all. Yeah. Even though oh, there's there a was secret a... key. Yeah. One public service announcement removed. No. Right. Well, <laughs> not <yeah>. really. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about uh, about an uh, uh, answer? Anything else you want to answer <laughs> or ask? Hmm. I don't. I don't. Nothing. Nothing is springing to mind. I think we've um, covered. Uh, fair bit of ground all right well i guess uh, my last i i like to uh, always uh, just at the end uh, offer my words of praise so what i will say is that maze is a collection of beauty humor wisdom tenderness smarts and delight 
Its false translations are strangely accurate. And through play and under the influence, perhaps, of surrealism, Hugh Thomas's poems make this reader ponder language, time, and order disorder. So there's, there's my there's my Goodreads uh, note. <laughs> well, lovely. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for thank you for being on the show, and thank you for a great weekend of poetry, starting from the pre-fair, a little time at the small press fair, and finally the interview. So, uh, and, uh, yeah, thanks, and thanks everyone for for listening and for continuing to listen and telling all your friends about the poetry podcast yeah, and Hugh Thomas's talks. work. And we'll have a link up to to uh, Maze and at Invisible Publishing, so you'll be able to uh, get your copy if you haven't got it so far. Thank you very much. Thanks. Small Machine Talks with Amanda Earl and A.M. Kozak. <laughs>